Good morning, everyone. Friends, in our first reading from the book of Sirach, uh, we are told that um, God, no, God shows no partiality to those who are high and mighty, uh, although uh, certainly we would say that um, he hears all prayers, but a particular sweetness to him are those who are prayers offered by the humble and those who are lowly. In our second reading, he already knows that death is coming for him. And um, his confidence and hope in God is not diminished by it. And uh, we hear him say, it is God who has given me strength. He didn't say, I on my strength did this. He said, God has given me strength. God will save me. God will protect me. And this is a great confidence uh, that Paul has. And this is completely different from what we're seeing inside the gospel. And uh, there's a huge difference between being arrogant and egotistic and having confidence in God. And uh, today's uh, gospel lesson uh, is not so much about prayer for me, although any preacher who would like to put forth that should be commended. But um, for me, in this reading, the way I understand it, it is about salvation and about who gives salvation. My friends, there should be no doubt in our minds. We do not save ourselves. And we have spoken about this on the different scriptures. We do not enter the kingdom or attain heaven's glory by telling ourselves or others how good we are. Even if, in fact, you are. <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? It is God who makes us holy. It is his grace that makes us holy. The self-righteous, in effect, are stating that they are the source of their own salvation. That is why Jesus said that the Pharisees prayed proudly to himself. Did you note that? Jesus said, and he said a prayer to himself. He mouthed off a whole litany of all the good works that he had done, like a person who was self-content to hear the good things that he had to say about himself while condemning the others. Here's where I say that is not confidence, that's arrogance and egotism. Our Lord infers that God was not even listening uh, to the Pharisees in that moment. My friends, I wanted to talk about this. The Pharisee was not a hypocrite. Remember, Jesus often lo lobbied that against them. In this case, this Pharisee was not a hypocrite. He did everything he said to himself that he did. He did. He did it all. So he's not a hypocrite. The Pharisees and the tax collectors, I want you to remind, remind you that it was a real person that Jesus is talking about. He presented it in a parable, but it was real people. And those real people had real behaviors. And those behaviors of the Pharisee and the scribes, they still exist today amongst all of us. My friends, one of the things when, as I prayed over the scripture, I wondered why sometimes um, Jesus picked the certain folks that he did uh, to get good PR from him in the Gospels and singled out for positive comment uh, uh, certain folks, and, uh, such as the tax collector, and in other scriptures, uh, the Samaritan who is hated by the Jews, and the Roman centurion who works for the empire and uh, has uh, very little faith in anything. And, uh, and Jesus spoke about prostitutes and tax collectors often. And uh, 
So why is it that these folks were singled out and they got pretty good PR from him uh, while uh, those who observe the law perfectly, mechanically, often were criticized by Jesus? And so the Pharisees. The Pharisees publicly committed themselves to perfect observance of the Mosaic law. And I'm not kidding, perfect. They were perceived as law-abiding citizens and models of religious piety. Noon and at 3 p.m., Jewish people were required to fast one day a year on the Day of Atonement. We find this from the book of Leviticus. However, the Pharisees did 100 times more. They fasted every Monday and every Thursday. This is in their history books. Jewish folks were required to pay a tithe of 10% on what they produced, either in uh, vegetation, farming, or in the animals they had. The Pharisees, as we are told, did 10% on everything that he owned. Any slaves, any land, any home, everything. So he paid a lot of money. The problem with the Pharisee was his attitude. He had a very haughty attitude in the face of God. And he had great condescension and condemnation of just about everybody else. His prayer was more of a public recording of his good deeds uh, rather than thanking God for God's abilities and God's graces. He seemed to have more reverence, and this is an important key. He had more reverence for the law than he did for the person who gave the law. And I'm not talking about Moses. I'm talking about God. You see what I'm telling you? He seemed more inclined to the law and seems to have forgotten what God, who gave the law, does. Thus the Pharisees proceeded as if he was the sole cause of his own salvation. The tax collector, uh, by way of contrast, is well aware of his brokenness and his need for God. The tax collectors in Jesus' time worked for the Roman Empire, and because they did that, they were considered to be collaborators with, with them, they were considered to be traitors, and they were considered to be thieves. And from the Pharisees' point of view, the only way that they could escape condemnation from God was to quit their job. That was the only thing that they could do. Their only hope of forgiveness was then to not be a tax collector anymore. So the tax collector knows this, and all the tax collector could do was to throw himself upon God's mercy. In his prayer, he does not dare to even look to heaven. His prayer was one of mercy. My friends, the Pharisees... They, people went to temple to pray. That is where the, uh, they were instructed to go. They could pray anywhere, but it meant more to go to temple. The Pharisees, as we we're told, took his position in the temple and prayed. The tax collector, because he was considered a traitor and sinner, was not permitted to enter the temple because he was wicked and evil. So he doesn't even attempt that. He knows. That's why we're told he's, he's off at a distance praying cl as close as he can come. As close as he's allowed to the temple, he begins to pray. And it took me three days 
of research to find this out, but this becomes key because it has to do with translations again. In the Greek, the translation of the Pharisees is atone for me. This is crucial. He's asking God. He knows his own inadequacy and he asks his sins be atoned by God. Atone for me, God. And God would. There it is. That is God atoning for our sins. The very thing that the tax collector is asking. Atone for me, God, because nothing else will work. Comes to pass. This tax collector was sincere. He was honest about himself and about God. He did not wear a mask of respectability. He knew exactly who he was and what he had done. He knew that if God were to accept him, it would, because of, it would be because of God's mercy and not on account of anything he himself had done by means of good works. In spite of being a sinner, the tax collector felt a deep need for God. And in that spiritual emptiness, he becomes open to God and God's grace. The, the Pharisees is not open to this because he has done everything perfectly. You see, he, I follow the law perfectly and therefore God owes me salvation. Here's the big difference. The Pharisees felt that because he did everything the right way for all the wrong reasons, that God owed him something. The tax collector has nothing to rely on but God. Jesus singled out the tax collector for praise because of his humility and understanding of his need for God. In doing so, Jesus teaches us that only those who wholeheartedly and very humbly turn to God for help, turn to God for salvation, turn to God for forgiveness, will have their heart desire. At the same time, Jesus dashes the notion that mere knowledge and obedience to the Mosaic law would enable humankind to save itself solely on its own efforts. If that were true, Jesus would never have had to come. Do you understand that? If you could, by your own ability, save yourself, Jesus would not have been able to, he wouldn't have to have done this. But that was not possible. So he came and he did what was necessary. He atoned before his Father for us. The lesson to be learned from the tax collector is that he realized to his core being that he was incapable of meriting God's mercy and love. The best he could do was to beg God for mercy and for pardon and to accept that mercy as gift and then respond to the gift with doing wonderful things. 
That's completely different from what the Pharisee was doing. The Pharisees, I'm going to do this and then God will owe me. The tax collector would teach us, no, first accept God's love and mercy and in return, do good. As a people who are often pride ourselves on self-sufficiency and resourcefulness, we would be wise to do frequently to accept and to acknowledge that we take a second seat to God when it comes to the work of salvation. Salvation is ultimately a gift from God. While God absolutely wants and expects our full active participation, second Vatican, <laughs> I'm using it in a different way. God absolutely wants and expects our full active participation and cooperations towards this end of salvation, his gift. It is he who saves us when all is said and done. We do not save ourselves. And the best that we can do is say uh, in the English translation, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or as it is really understood, atone for me, God. Jesus tells us in the end of the gospel, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The humbling will take the form of humiliation sooner or later in this life, and it certainly will happen on the day of judgment. My friends, it was pride that sent Lucifer out of heaven. His other name that you know him by, Satan. Pride. In the garden, disobedience is the sin, but it was fueled by Adam and Eve's pride and arrogance. We should not be surprised to hear Jesus say, everyone who humbles himself will be exalted because the Son of God emptied himself completely and humbled himself. And because of that, go to Philippians 2, 7, because of that, God the Father exalted him and made his name above all other names in heaven and on earth. We would do well to follow uh, after our master in the same way. My friends, I would like to read to you the prayer that that tax collector used. He was a tax collector. He was a Jew. He would have used the Old Testament. Your poor pastor took him three days to figure it out because of translations. But here is the prayer. It is Psalm 51. In English, have mercy on me, God. But the understanding is, atone for me, God, in accord with your merciful love. and your abundant compassion, blot out my transgressions. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt, and from my sin cleanse me. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your eyes, so that you are just in your command and word, and without reproach to your judgment upon me. Behold, I was born in guilt. Behold, you desire true sincerity 
and secretly you teach me wisdom. Cleanse me with hyssop that I may be pure. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You let me hear gladness and joy. The bones you have crushed will rejoice. Turn away your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. A clean heart create for me, God. Renew within me a steadfast spirit. Do not drive me from before your face, nor take from me your Holy Spirit. Restore to me the gladness of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach the wicked your ways, that sinners may return to you. Rescue me from violent bloodshed, God, my saving God, and my tongue will sing joyfully of your justice. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will proclaim your praise. For you do not desire empty sacrifice, or I would give it. Burnt offering you will not accept. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit, a contrite, humble heart, O God, you will not spurn. This is the prayer of the tax collector. It's a moving one, particularly when you know it in song. I have it. And when you hear it, it resonates so deeply. The song I have of it is, of course, in Hebrew. But it is so beautiful and moving to know what it was that the tax collector was saying. You approach God the same way. You know God loves you. Anyone who tells you to fear God, you run away from fast when you run to God. If they tell you to fear his justice, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But God loves you. Approach him always with a humble and contrite heart. We will find his love and his mercy and his companionship. Amen?